All right, good morning, church. All right, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. While you're turning there, I want to encourage you. We have Serve Day is coming up. We do this twice a year as a church family. We come together, we throw on our t-shirts, and we go out in our community, and we do one-way, no-strings-attached, good deeds, service deeds to partners in our community or basically anyone in our community who has a need, and we meet that need in the name of Jesus. Amen? And the reason for that is not so we can check a box and go, all right, we served our community, we're done, right? No, the whole purpose of it is that discipleship for us is not just teaching a concept from the Scripture. We actually want to provide opportunities for us to go do it. Um, and, and in that way, you sort of get going down the runway in your Christian faith, and you feel what it feels like to serve people in your community, and hopefully it catches, and we sort of prime the prompt in our hearts of, of, of learning to do this on a continual basis and be this person um, all the time. And so we just have two days a year that's that, that reminder, and it, and it serves that purpose in our lives for a discipleship purpose, to be like Jesus, the one who serves all. And uh, we want to be that for our community. And so plan on joining us on Serve Day and that's on November the 13th. It's a Saturday. We'll all come together. By the way, your life groups, y'all can kind of own a project, anything you want for that week. And y'all can go do anything that you feel like the Lord's leading you to do to go in the community per life group. Um, but if you don't have a project or you, your life group wants to join us, join us on that Saturday morning. And we'll all go out together November the 13th. All right? All right. We're continuing in our series in Ephesians. We're in chapter 3 today. And uh, one movement of worship, there's lots of movements of worship. Someone just getting with God and honoring Him and worshiping Him with their hearts. Um, one great way to worship God is to take time to sit still, walk through His Word, and listen to Him. Um, it's a beautiful act of worship. And, you know, I hope you do this every day in some way, where you just take a moment to sit down and set aside other common things and give Him your attention and let Him just speak to you. You know, it doesn't take long, but it's a beautiful act of worship. Let's do that right now. Ephesians chapter 3, we want to just... Lock in, and we want to set aside distractions, and we want to focus on the Lord and listen to the Lord speak to us through His Word. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So let's walk along here and, and uh, listen to God. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. 
For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that the sense and the power and the force of the text that you put down here for us today would find its way into our hearts and not just portions of our heart, but all our hearts. Uh, Lord, that this would be true of us, that this prayer of Paul would be true of us, that, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And so, Lord, lead us there and minister to us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. A couple of uh, months ago, I'm on the phone with a, a pastor who's planning a church in Quebec. Y'all know we have a partner in Quebec, and I'm on the phone with this pastor. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm meeting him for the first time. Uh, we're on Zoom because in Canada they are in lockdown. They were still in lockdown just a couple of months ago. I mean, it was like lockdown, not like, you know, mask. No, they weren't going out of their house. Crazy. But he, so I'm meeting him on Zoom, and, and of course, you know, what happens every time I meet somebody? Hey, tell me about your name, right? Here we go. All right. My whole life has been that. You know how they do those studies where, you know, you, 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 by the end of your life, you would have spent this much time at a stop sign and in an elevator and in a, in, a, in, a, in a line at, at Walmart or something like that, and it's years and all that stuff. I think by the end of my life, if you calculate it back, I, probably about 14 years of my life is explaining my name. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Uh, but part of my name complication is my last name, which no one recognizes, and everyone wants to know what country I'm from, and I tell them Alabama, uh, South Alabama particularly. I'm a redneck country boy. So, um, but uh, that, it always happens. So he asked, so tell me about your last name. And uh, he's a, he's a, he gets my name, what, tell me about that. And I go, I start doing my bit, right? Oh, uh, well, it's, uh, it's uh, my grandfather's from Slidell, Louisiana, and Louisiana, French Cajun, and it's French, and, and I guess it's, it's part of that whole heritage. And this guy, obviously in Quebec, Canada, speaks 100% French, like, like it's, his, it's his native language. And, and he looks at me and he goes, no, it doesn't sound French at all. And I went, well, I, you must not know what you're talking about because uh, it's from Louisiana. South Louisiana, and it has to be, right? I just assumed it has to be. He goes, no, actually, I think it sounds more Italian. No. I was like, can't be. But I got done with the Zoom call, and you all know what I did. I got to Googling my last name, trying to figure out where this thing came from. And, of course, it came up with some genetic research thing, and it got, took me on a research path and the, the actual root of my last name from Italy. A revelation. 
That's why I like pizza so much. That's what it is. I, I have told Christy my whole life, am I right? I have told her our entire marriage that my favorite food is Italian food. I am not kidding. I will destroy Italian food, spaghetti and meatballs, all, all Italian. It doesn't matter what it is. I absolutely love it. And now it all makes sense. But I got to, I got to thinking like, man, who in the world am I? It threw me off. I'm like, I've, I've been French my whole life, and now I'm not at all French. Um, I'm now Italian. Now I want to go to Italy. I just, I don't know. I just kind of want to, you know. You know how um, much of our identity, we, we kind of root in where we're from and who we're from, right? We want to know our family. We want to know our lineage. We want to know who grandpa and grandma was. We want to know who great-grandpa and great-grandma was because it's who we are, right? I mean, it's just where we came from. I didn't pick them. They didn't pick me, but that's who I'm with, and I'd like to know them. I, I, I often want to know, is there someone in my lineage somewhere that was some powerful preacher at one point? Surely it's got to be there, right, that God's got this generational call in my lineage. And so I start asking my dad. I'm like, Dad, tell me about Papa's parents because I never met them. They were the ones from Louisiana, and I found out there's a reason I haven't met them. Because he said, yeah, they owned a store. It was Papa's dad and Papa's mom, and, and they both ran a, like a store. It was like one building. Um, but downstairs on the floor level was a bar, and Papa's dad ran the bar. And all the stories above it was the brothel, and, grandma, and Grandpa's mom ran the brothel. This is my glorious lineage. <laughs> ah, he truly dug us up from the pit and saved us by grace. Amen? How about I, you, ever, you ever looked at your lineage and thought, oh. or you looked at your lineage and you go, thank God, yeah, okay, praise God for that, right? It can be good and it can be bad. But we, we root ourselves in our identity in kind of where we came from and who we belong to. And, and that's all good because our identity has come from outside ourselves. We root our identity in our community, in our friends. We root our identity in our country. Um, those, all of those are, are natural things that, that, that can be good, can be bad. But we get our identity uh, from, from those things. Have you ever thought something about you to be true and you began to realize it's not true at all? Like that happened to me. I'm not who I thought I was. Now I'm trying to sing opera and all kind of stuff, right? Um, identity crisis. There's some people that I have heard that found out in their 40s and 50s of their life that they were adopted. Can you imagine that the, the, the turmoil that they go through? I mean, I, I, now these guys even say it, it just caused such a deep wrestling and, and they feel a sense of lostness for quite a time because they just they didn't know that about themselves. And then they found out it's, it's, a, it's a deep troubling thing. You don't know who you are, right? There's something strong and joyous and beautiful and healthy about knowing who you are and that and being rooted in those things. Um, one of the most important things that a Christian can have in their life, the most whole thing for their soul is to be deeply rooted in your identity in Jesus Christ. Knowing who you are, and then not just knowing a little bit about who you are, but knowing the fullness of who you are and what is yours and who you belong to. It's very, very important 
in your, in your life. And that's the goal of Ephesians. And today we continue along that thread. And two things I want us to identify and focus on. The first one is the cosmic nature of our identity. And then secondly, the internal nature of our identity. So the first thing, the cosmic nature of our identity in the text that we just read. Verse 1, I want you to look in your word real quick. Look in your Bible. Look in your Bible. And I want you to see in that verse 1, he says, for this reason, and he starts to say something, right? Where do you see him say for this reason on down the text? Keep looking. It's going to be a little bit of back and forth this morning. Are you all with me? Where do you see it happen again? 14, that's right. So from verse 1, he says, for this reason, 14 verses, 13 verses later, in verse 14, he picks up where he left off from a detour. Paul starts to say something in verse 1. He goes on a detour, 13 verses, and then picks back up and goes, all right, now let me pick back up on my thought. Now, see, I appreciate that because um, basically it means that Paul was ADD just like me. He starts to say a thought, and he goes, you know what, let me chase that rabbit. Let me chase that squirrel real fast, and let me just deal with that real quick. And then he comes back to it for 13 verses later. He goes on a detour here. What is the cause of the detour of Paul for all of these verses that are, that are happening? Well, Paul is writing from prison. And he calls himself a prisoner of who? Read it. Of Jesus. Well, he's a prisoner of Rome. What does he mean he's a prisoner of Jesus? This can cause a little bit of conflict. Also, Paul, why are you even in prison? And he, he actually reads it. He comes on down on the text and he says, the whole reason I went on that detour is so that you won't be discouraged by my imprisonment. He, don't want, he doesn't want them discouraged by his imprisonment, failing in their faith, wondering why he's in prison. He wants to deal with it. And he wants to show, basically, the cosmic view of the calling on his life. And if he shows the cosmic view of the calling on his life, and he says, Jesus says the pathway for me to, to, to see all of these cosmic things come to fruition, the pathway for me is imprisonment. The way that God was going to spread the gospel throughout the whole Roman Empire like wildfire was through Paul being imprisoned and traveling from place to place and having guards guard him and all kinds of things. He said, this is the way that I was going to do it, through much sufferings and beatings and hardships. This is the plan. And then he says, it's for your glory. In other words, know that this is how it's going to happen and don't worry about the fact that I'm in, in prison. So he doesn't want them to worry too much about that. But here's what I want us to see from Paul's case of this cosmic story about his life. Verse 3, he uses this word actually throughout the text, and it's the mystery. He calls it the mystery. Um, mystery of ages, and, and basically what that is, it's not like a mystery that you've kind of, you, you got to work through mentally like a maze, and you finally arrive at the answer to the mystery. This is a little stronger in the Greek it's almost like a secret that God has that you cannot know unless God shares it. And God does progressively open up the secret to let people know about it. And now in Jesus, he's fully let everyone in on the secret. Okay? Um, and, and it's not, so, so what he's talking about here is the mystery is a secret that God had that he held on to and that he revealed little by little. And then he fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, what is this mystery? What is this secret that God's now 
unleashed to the whole world. He says it's this, that the Gentiles are becoming fellow heirs. God is opening the door to the Gentile of all the things that he had for Israel. Now, in Paul's day, this was an issue. In Paul's day, the issue was, can a Christian, I mean, can a a Gentile become a Christian? It wasn't necessarily, can a Jew become a Christian? It was, can a Gentile become a Christian? So, can I take you on a cosmic journey for a few minutes? Will you stay with me? I don't want to lose you on this. Let's go through the journey together, and you'll see what Paul's talking about here. God approaches a man named Abram, names him Abraham, says, through you, the whole world will be, I will bless the whole world through your offspring. In other words, the promise of the Messiah from Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to bring the Messiah about and I'm going to make your people as numerous as the stars in the sky. All these promises to Abram. Abram has a son, Isaac, right? He chose Isaac, it's going to be through Isaac, not the rest of yours, through Isaac and that lineage. And then Jacob, okay, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is why those three are put together all the time in the Old Testament so that you'll know it's following this line. Jacob is renamed Israel. Israel has how many sons? Twelve. Twelve sons. Twelve tribes of Israel, a nation, right? This is God. God chose the nation of Israel, this lineage, and he's going to have a special covenant with them. Law, temple, worship, presence, all kinds of things. They're going to keep the covenant in a certain land. God gave them the land the way that parents give a a teenager a vehicle. You behave, you get to enjoy the vehicle. You misbehave, away goes the vehicle. And God says, you want the land? Behave. But the second you misbehave, I'm taking you out of the land. And he did. But God's covenant was always faithful to Israel. And God chose Israel to do a primary thing on the earth. Israel was called God's priesthood. God revealed himself to the rest of the world through Israel. And then particularly through the Jew. Okay, So God's purpose for Israel, and the reason why he didn't want them to disobey and misbehave is because they would begin to mess up the picture of him revealing himself to the rest of the world. Now, all those years... All the way up until the time of Jesus, if a Gentile, a person outside the Jewish faith or outside Israel, wanted to have a relationship in the covenant of God, you know what they had to do? First of all, God commanded Israel, you have to receive them. But what they did was they would come and be a Jew. Worship at the temple, observe the Sabbath, observe the ordinances, observe all the things of God, observe the commands of God, walk in the word of God. Um, they would become like culturally like a Jew. This is why in Acts, you see this particular designation of a person called a God-fearer in a synagogue. They're in the synagogue with the Jew, but they're called a God-fearer because they're a Gentile doing Jewish things in relationship with God. They're called God-fearers. So here's the dynamic. If a person wanted, if a Gentile wanted to come into the covenants of God, they had to become a Jew. Okay? They had to come in that way. But here... The mystery is that the Gentiles are coming in. So, Jesus comes and he starts a new covenant. A new covenant in my blood. A new covenant. 
given through the prophets, all of this was, was foreseen. And now it's coming to reality. The Messiah was a Jew. He comes, in, he comes in to fulfill the promise of all the ages. And here he is. He's the king. He's crucified, dies, rose again. Apostles are given authority. The Spirit comes at Pentecost. The preaching of the gospel goes out. What happens? Gentiles start believing the gospel and they start giving evidence of the Spirit in their own hearts of believing and trusting Christ and becoming believers. And so the apostles start wrestling with this going, what shall we do with this? They even had a huddle. They brought the church leaders together to go, what do we do about these Gentiles? Because at the point, at the time, all the, new, all the first believers in Jesus were all Jew. Because Jesus said, I came first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. But now the Gentiles appear to be coming straight into the kingdom, giving signs and evidence of the Spirit, and they didn't become a Jew first. Okay? New covenant. Gentiles are coming, coming in. Well, this is called the church age. If you're studying the New Testament, you have the age of the Gentile. Paul says that a temporary hardening has come upon Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. The door was opened to the Gentile. Now I want you to think about this. Paul is saying, don't worry about me being in prison because my imprisonment is opening the door to the Gentile. That's why you need to be encouraged. And that's why you know it's your glory, not your shame or discouragement. This is how God's going to do it. This is how he's doing it. 200 years after Paul goes away, Christianity becomes the religion, favored religion in the Roman Empire. Takes over the Roman Empire. Now, over 2,000 years, today, one-third of the globe claims to be Christian, a follower of Christ. Now, I know that doesn't mean all of them are. But a third of the planet says they're Christian. The age of the Gentile. What are the odds that a third of the planet, 2,000 years later, are going to follow a guy crucified at the age of 33, roughly, a, a, a criminal's death? What are the what, I mean, lots of people were crucified. Y'all know that, right? And lots of people claim to be the Messiah. Y'all know that, right? Yet one is followed by a third of the earth. What are the odds? What are the odds? Slim. Especially when you see that it was weakness it was born in. It's the glory of God. It's the age of the Gentile. And that is who you are. Now take that in for a second. God has been up to a glorious cosmic work on the earth. And you are a, a beneficiary and being brought in to a cosmic work that he is doing and will continue to do. Follow with me. When the fullness and the number of the Gentiles have come in, Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then what? The end will come. It will spread throughout the whole globe. It will be preached among all tribes, languages, and people groups. It will be preached. The gospel will be preached. And then here he comes, y'all. The close of the age of the Gentiles is the return of Jesus. It will finish everything off, and we enter into a whole other framework. Y'all think COVID is disruptive? When Jesus steps on the scene, everything is shaken and put upside down. It will be the most disruptive event that has ever taken in all of human history. No one will miss it. It will be catastrophic in some ways, terrifying to most of the world. The joy and the delight of worship for the church. He's finally here. <laughs> Our troubles are over. That is coming. But right now, we are in the age of the Gentile. Paul called it the age of the Gentile, where the Gentiles are being brought in. 
That is the cosmic nature of your identity. Right now, your life isn't really about you. Your life is about this. You exist for him and what he's doing. Be careful with making your identity about who you are and then who, who you came in from. Your identity is really about a story. And this is how God helps us to build our identity. This is what God did then. With through his, and this is what God did then. And this is what God did then. And then there's me. And then there's going to be beyond me what God's doing. I'm one stone brought into the fabric of the temple of God, the Gentile age, the church, the kingdom of God, the glory and all of that. All of that stuff is glorious. It's a beautiful picture of the billions and billions of people who have been brought in to this covenant. Let me go back real quick. A Jew, how did they come into this glorious kingdom? By faith, trusting in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all the things that they were promised. How does a Gentile come in? No longer by being a Jew and then becoming a Christian. The Gentile came right in the same way, believing. And that's what caused this disruption in the early church. They're trying to figure that out. How did that happen? God's saying, no, the door's open. It's by faith. And they came in. And so Paul was basically making that, that argument. Um, All Saints Day, November the 1st. Do you all know All Saints Day? Um, you know, many times we don't really celebrate that. It was, it was long before any denomination. Christians observed this for, for a thousand years before there was even such a thing as a denomination. Um, started in the 7th century. Um, and it was really a time when the church gathered together to honor all of those who had gone before us in the church age. There was an interconnectedness to even those who had gone before us. Those are our family. Or you think about it this way. The apostles are my forefathers. All who have lived since then and helped spread the gospel and are part of the kingdom, they're my family members. They don't run a brothel. They actually live for God. They, they do Christ-like things. And I honor them. They're my family. And they're your family. And this is the idea of All Saints Day. We come together to honor those. And then October 31st is All Hallows' Eve, where we get... Halloween, yeah, that's what that is. You come together to hallow those who have gone before. That's what Halloween really was all about. Got brought in some extra things, obviously, right? It's fine. Go trick or treat, have your fun, no big deal. But just know what All Hallows' Eve is. All Hallows' Eve is really where we're, but think about the interconnectedness of family throughout generations to me now. And we're going to pass it on to generations and we're going to be interconnected. Feel your identity in the church, the big C church, the glory of Jesus, the age of the Gentile that you've been brought in along with all these others. And think about how the church, all the believers throughout all the generations has completely and radically transformed the whole face of the globe. Think about that. Think about how the gospel has been baked into almost every fiber of the reality of this earth. How it's been transformed. It's really astounding and it's really glorious. But that's who you are. You're a part of that. And you got to feel your sense of I'm a part of that. And a Christian walk is not just an individual work, walk with God and getting to know God on my own and others help me. No, no, no. We are all interlocked. I hope that, that picture rings true for you. Secondly, our internal nature of our identity. Paul picks up where he left off in verse 14. 
And he begins to say and pray for believers. And what he prays for is inner strength and power of believers to be total. Now think about this. In verse 17, he says, he prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now what's the problem with that? Well, let me just get it to you. The problem with that is that you can't be a believer in the New Testament unless Christ dwells in your heart through faith. Right? But he prays. He says, I'm praying for you, though you are believers, you're Christians, and I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you're like, already got that covered. You don't have to pray that. Right? Don't you feel the problem here? Why would he pray that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith when he already dwells in my heart through faith? Right? Paul himself teaches that you can't be a son of God without the spirit of God dwelling in you. Where do we connect this? Well, Paul does another, another detour. He puts a dash right there at the end of that statement. What's that dash? It's literally a time when he goes, all right, let me explain what I mean. And he goes on and he says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. By the way, look at all the saints. All the saints. Together with all the saints may comprehend that you together with all the saints may come under the understanding of the Spirit. In this mystery of God. With all this, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't know this on your own. It's something only God gives and it gives it through the, together with the saints. This is awesome stuff. That you may be, listen to this term, filled with the fullness of God. What is he saying here? Well, here's what he means. I'm wrapping up. That when you become a believer, you've trusted Christ and Christ has come in to your heart. And the heart being the center of who you are, not just your emotional state. The center, your, Christ's presence has come in and lived in your soul, in your inner man. But there's a process that starts there of him coming in and then taking over everything in the fullness of him, filling your whole fullness, filling the full you with his fullness of him. All right, does that make sense? It's called sanctification. Um, there are things that we need to learn when the Spirit comes in to live within us. And He has to teach us, and we grow and we learn. There are things that we need to grow in. We need to mature in certain things, namely the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. And only He can produce those things in us. And He begins to manifest those things slowly but surely over time. There are things that we need to change about us. There's things that need to be killed within us, and only He can kill them, and He kills them slowly over time. And He goes, take, and then hopefully, as we continue to keep in step with Him and walk with Him, we eventually experience the fullness of him in the fullness of us and it's coming out our ears does that make sense so Paul's prayer is that every believer would not stop short of having the presence of the spirit of Christ fully reign in all aspects of their inner person you be so full with the fullness of God and the fullness of you that he's just coming out of your ears you're completely taken over by him and that's the place I call abandonment you finally have come to that place where you abandon all, and he has you all. And it's a beautiful, wonderful place. How many of you have heard of Christ, my, my Heart, Christ's Home? The book that was written in like the 50s. Um, it's a little pamphlet. I encourage you. It's a dollar. $1.99, $2, okay, whatever, online. Go check it out. It's really awesome. I think maybe you can find a free version somewhere. This is a little pamphlet. Billy Graham handed this to every new believer in all of his revival meetings that he had in the 40s and 50s. He handed this work to, to them because it's such a powerful illustration. Well, this book 
actually comes from Ephesians chapter 3, this very prayer that Paul prays that Christ would uh, uh, dwell in our hearts. And the word dwell can also mean like make up home and take residence in our hearts. And so he's trying to unpack the truth of that. And he does it through an illustration where it's like inviting a guest over to the house. Okay, Y'all may have heard this illustration. And he says where you you invite Jesus in. And then Jesus starts making his way through the house. It's a beautiful portrayal. And so he starts off, he says, you know, when you, when you become a Christian, you invite Jesus in. And he, says, and he says, the first place is the study. Jesus comes into the study, the mind. Uh, and he says that Jesus starts pointing out some books that he was really embarrassed about. Right? Uh, kind of like you would invite a guest into a home. Think about that. You invite them in and all of a sudden you find out they're rummaging through the fridge. You're like, hey, hey, hey. I didn't mean make yourself at home like that. Right? Well, he says, well, Jesus kind of makes himself at home, right? And he begins to do stuff. Um, Well, he goes into the study, and he's pointing out some books, and he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't mean to have those. And uh, so he starts working on it. Then he says, go to the dining room, and he starts dealing with the appetites and the desires, right? And using that as an illustration of, uh, I found out that a lot of desires were money and academic degrees and stocks and fame and fortune and all kind of desires there that I needed to kind of look at. And he says, he goes into the living room, and he says, this is the place where Jesus wanted to meet every day. And I found out that I just run right through the living room every, every day on my way to work. And I, and I felt so bad walking out the front door because he's just sitting there and I didn't have time for him. And I just ran out. And, and so he's talking about the living room. And then he talks about the workroom. He says that's where the bench and the equipment is. It's kind of like the shop for men. And he says, and this is that place where I tried to measure up for God and, and impress him with my works. And, and uh, tried to perform for God and make sure he was you know, proud of my, my efforts and that sort of thing. Um, and then he says, I uh, go to the rec room. He takes you into the rec room. He says, that's where fun and fellowship. And he says, one night, um, the rec room is kind of like the place where you have fun. He says, some of my, my friends, we were all going out that night. And uh, Jesus said, where are you going? And he said, uh, I'm going out with my friends. He said, oh, I want to come with you. And he goes, oh, you don't want to go with these guys, you know. Um, i tell you what, just, just stay here. I'll come back and we'll take you to church. Good illustration, right? The rec room. Then he goes, the bedroom, inviting Jesus into your marriage and the way you treat one another and talk and all that. And then he says, then he, then, then he says, I came home one day and Jesus is on the front porch and he's got that strange look in his eye. Okay? And he had an intense look. And Jesus said to him, he says, hey, you know, there's a smell in the house we really need to deal with. It's coming from that upstairs closet. And so Jesus takes him up there and he goes, it's in here. And he says, and it's locked. And we need to deal with it. And and the guy says, as soon as I heard him say the closet, he knew exactly what he was talking about. He says, uh, so he goes up there, Jesus points to the door, says it's in there and it's dead. You know, he said, at this point, you know, I've been giving Jesus access to everything. He's kind of not a guest anymore. He's kind of like just taking over everything. And I got a little mad. All right, hey, so how far is this going to go, right? I let you in here. I'm trying to keep this place clean. You're not happy with that. You're not happy with this. I can't do it. I can't do all this, all right? I can't, I can't keep this place good enough for you. It's kind of wearing me out. And Jesus, he said, well, if you think I'm going to stay up here on this second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. This is Jesus saying this to him. And he says, I will take my bed outside on the back porch or somewhere else. I'm not going to stay around that. And the guy goes, all right. He said, uh, Jesus, here's the key. You can go in there, but I'm not going in there. Jesus said, fine. He unlocks the door, pulls it out. He deals with the dead thing. 
goes in there and cleans the room out. Smells completely gone, a good aroma. And he repaints the whole inside of that closet. Everything's all brand new. And he said, in that moment, it clicked. This is really powerful in the book. He says, in that moment, it clicked. This is what he's wanting. So he said, I ran as fast as I could. And I got out the deed to my house. <laughs> and I took him the deed. And I said, I'm going to sign this over to you. I can't keep this place clean enough. Apparently, you do a much better job at it. So I'm going to sign the deed over, and I'm going to live in your house. How's that sound? And Jesus smiled at him with a grin and said, that's what I've been after this whole time. To live in the house of Jesus. And he says, on that day, Jesus took my life that day, and I learned the secret of the Christian life. Letting him have all of us. We're all in that process, right? Where perhaps is that off-limits place? Work, some relationship, some place where he, would, he can come in and he can do, he can bring life to a dead place. He can heal, he can forgive, he can cleanse, he can strengthen. He can do it all, all of those things. But will we, will we give him the, lock, the, lock, the, the key and just say, come on, come on. You can have that place too, all of it. Oh, that we would be experiencing the prayer of Paul and be filled with the fullness of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And uh, Lord, um, even in this quiet moment right now, as we go to a song, maybe there's just a, a conversation that you'd like to have with us. That you don't just have us, our identity rooted in a big cosmic picture and a lineage of spiritual giants. But Lord, you also are working inside of us at the same time. Freeing us, forgiving us, cleansing us, empowering and strengthening us, filling us with joy. And oh Lord, that every one of us would take one step closer to having the fullness of Christ in the fullness of us today. So meet with us right now. Speak to us. Deal with stuff in our hearts. Deal with stuff in our lives. We open ourselves fully to you, Lord. And I, we pray that the prayer of Paul, Paul would be true of every person here this morning. Take us there. Dwell in us fully. And use us for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand with me all across the room? Let's just have a time of response where we respond to the Lord, say what needs to be said. Let him have his way in us. Amen.